I brought the word from the Lord. It's going to be a good message. But I want to uh, start just by introducing uh, this month of June. Uh, as Pastor Sky talked about, this is going to be Women's Ministry Month. And what it means is we're going to have female preachers up here for every single Sunday that falls on June. And also we will have female worship leaders as well as some vocalists and prayer person. We're going to really celebrate women in ministry, whether that's part-time, full-time, or as volunteer basis. So we are doing this as a symbolic and prophetic sign. We're believing that this is what the Lord is doing. It's not a new Philly thing, but we're really believing that God's the one that put it upon the hearts of PC, Pastor Christian and Erin. We're really going with it. And other churches are also noticing, and we believe that it's going to uh, spread to the wider body of Christ. And I, I want to say that this month, we're going to bear fruit. Definitely. It's not going to be just some, oh, throw some girls up there. Let's see what they can do. But it's going to be a fruitful month of ministry. And if you want to know more about where New Philly stands regarding women in ministry, women in leadership, and things like that, please go to uh, our podcast and listen to Pastor Christian's sermon series on women in ministry, preached in 2011, around October. So you could find that he's exegesis on it, why we believe what we believe, why we encourage what we encourage. And I want to encourage everyone, if you are not aware, go find those sermons and just... Get your study on. It's going to be really good. So today, I'm preaching from the book of Ephesians. I've been uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. So that's going to be, if you have your Bibles, turn there, please. Uh, that's going to be my part 9 of my uh, sermon series on this book. I heard Pastor Marcus already preached th- th- 23 sermons from 1 Corinthians. That's crazy. And you guys need a break. I'm here. <laughs> I heard that that sermon series has been really powerful. But um, Pastor Marcus is currently in the States with his family, attending a wedding and things like that. Man, Itaewon's a beautiful house. This is an amazing community, you guys. I really celebrate. Like, whenever I come, you guys are different. It's like the bond and then the unity that I feel, it's like so amazing. Uh, I already preached from this passage, actually, once at Seaside in March this year, but I will take a different approach on this and unpack something else, another revelation from the same passage. So um, my sermon title will be, A Full-Grown Man. How many, a full grown, how many full-grown men do I have in this room? Come on. <laughs> such a weak response here. <laughs> I see a lot of grown men in this room. Okay. So I have questions for you to to start off. Question number one. How many of you are still growing physically? Not not sideways. Not sideways. Please. Height-wise. Height-wise. All right. Handful of you. I'm still growing this way, but not really vertically. But, um... Okay. Good for you. There's about three, four of you. They're still growing. Some high school students... Jealous of you. Oh, very good. But what about in the spirit, in the spirit, like in a spiritual sense? Are we all growing? So if you are to grow, I mean, there's a full grown man, full grown woman, you know? So we reach certain size and then we start growing, right? What about in the spirit? Have you guys ever thought about that? We're going to talk about growing in maturity, growing in the spirit. Second question. Do you consider yourself a mature believer? It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer me. <laughs> You're like, no, yes. <laughs> a lot of confusion here. 
What does it even mean to be a mature believer? What does a mature believer look like? We say that we throw out the term a lot. Oh, she's a mature believer. She's still kind of immature. We always say that, but what does that mean? What does it look like in real life? Though someone that's Jesus-like is going to be the easiest answer to this question, what does it actually look like in real life? So I thought about some options. Maybe the person knows a lot about the Bible, mature believer. But I call them a smart believer. It doesn't have to be necessarily a mature believer to know a lot. It could just be a smart believer. Or even non-believers could know a lot about the Bible, even more than I do. Or the person knows how to prophesy and how to heal the sick. I don't call them mature believer. I call them gifted believers. They just have a lot of giftings from the Lord. What about he never skips his quiet time? He's like a robot. He's like a quiet time robot. Like every morning wakes up at 5 a.m., quiet time for two hours. Mature believer? What do you think? I say a well-disciplined believer. Though discipline is a very important part of spiritual maturity, that's not everything. Muslims will be very mature then. They pray four times a day. They, they never, never skip one, you know? Or they could easily just be a religious believer. So what does it mean to be a mature believer? I mean, though gaining knowledge of the word, growing in spiritual giftings, growing in spiritual discipline, all these things that I mentioned are very important, but it's not quite synonymous to being a mature believer. So maturity is a, like an umbrella term that is way bigger than just one area of your Christian walk. Being good at one area in your spiritual journey doesn't give you the title of a mature believer. I do believe that there will be multiple answers to answer this, you know, to answer this question, but I will draw some answers from this particular passage that we are going to read together. So before we do that, let's turn to our neighbors and tell, tell them this. Let's grow up. Let's grow up. So we'll be reading from ESV verses 11 to 16. Verses 11 to 16, I'll be reading from ESV. You guys could just follow along. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Verse 13, it says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. Everyone say mature manhood. Sure. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So mature manhood, if you have ESV Bible, there's a footnote at the bottom. 
It means, in Greek, it literally means a full-grown man. That's where I got the title from. Mature manhood means a full-grown man. And also, it explains further, Paul explains that it's a fullness of Jesus. It's becoming a fullness of Jesus Christ. It's a little difficult to understand what it actually means. So I looked up different versions of the Bible. NLT, New Living Translation, it says, This will continue until we all come to such unity in faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. It's a little easier, right? Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And I think what it means is, We are called to be like a full-grown Jesus, adult Jesus, full-aged Jesus, a mature Jesus. You guys know that Jesus came to earth as a baby, became a toddler, a boy, puberty, and then full-grown man, right? So it's talking about we are not just called to become little children, but to the fullness of Jesus, the full-aged, full-grown man of Jesus, that is our goal to become like. And I felt very honored to unpack this message because God's aim for us is very high. When he's working in us, his sanctification work, maturing us, growing us, his goal is not just to become a teenager Jesus, stature of him, but full-grown man, muscular, strong man, Jesus Christ. And that's what we are called to become like. You guys like that? Oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. He doesn't just want us to be little children, oh, my baby girl, baby boy, but to grow up to be the son at full age. In full maturity, that's our calling. And God is maturing New Philly at this season. Even the retreat uh, that was about two weeks ago, the, the theme was work it out, right? And it was about working out our salvation and really growing into who we are called to be. And I think it just goes hand in hand. It's talking about something very similar, becoming like Jesus at his full age, at his full grown stature. And what does that look like? We're going to talk about that. So I broke down the word maturity. I love this word. I, I love using this, oh, mature, immature, you know, but then what does that even mean? So I searched for maturity. Let's, let's look at this. So in Greek word, it's, it's teleios. Everyone say teleios. teleios. I probably butchered the, trend. yeah, it's okay. But teleios, that word means finished, perfect, whole, complete, and uh, nothing lacking from perfection. So that word maturity actually means completion. Did you guys know that? That's interesting, right? It means complete human integrity and complete human virtue. That's teleios. So when the Bible talks about to become mature, it's talking about be perfect, be whole, be complete, be a finished work. That's what he's talking about. And I chose, uh, I looked up the same exact word in Hebrew that means the same thing. It's tamam. Everyone say tamam. Tamam, Tamam, this Hebrew word, every word that's related to maturity comes from this one root word. So tamam, it talks about the same thing. And it's often translated in the Old Testament as integrity, uprightness, 
or completeness, blameless, and things like that. So King David, he loves using this word tamam and different variations of this word. He, he talks about, in Psalms especially, he talks about integrity a lot. He's so ridiculously confident in his integrity. Have you guys ever felt like, oh, David sounds mad prideful? Like he says, I have walked in integrity. Test me and try me, and I am blameless before you. Like, did you see the confidence of King David? I don't know if I write a letter to the Lord. I don't think I can write like that, you know? Try me and test me and search me, and there's nothing, nothing evil in my heart. You know, his confidence is really remarkable. But um, Psalm 26, verses 1 to 2, let me read it for you. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. So confident. He, I think, was a mature believer. So one characteristic of mature believer definitely coming from this passage is integrity. Everyone say integrity. Integrity, Integrity, what does that mean? It's kind of like maturity. It's kind of vague. You know, it's kind of hard to catch what it really means. I used to think integrity only had something to do with, like, businessmen, people that deal with a lot of money, integrity, honesty, and things like that. But integrity as a person, it's a lot bigger than that. Let's really look at what integrity means. So I looked up all these dictionaries, and they are, like, not really great. So I found one that I liked, okay? It's from businessdictionary.com. So it's kind of like a, in a real society setting what integrity entails. So this is the definition. Strict adherence to a moral code reflected in transparent honesty and complete harmony in what one thinks, says, and does. So the harmony in what you think, what you say, and what you do, there's the harmony. There's the unity in that. And also complete honesty, transparency. So those are the characteristics of integrity. And I think if I unpack it into a simpler language, I'll say it's being true to yourself at all times. What I mean by that is upholding your set of morals, values, and beliefs at all times. People with integrity, people with integrity is too long, so I'm just going to call this person JM. Uh, not talking about a specific person, but it just seems fitting, right? So JM. So this person JM... <laughs> JM equals people with integrity, okay? JM will uphold the same standard and beliefs in public life and private life. JM will uphold and abide to the same set of beliefs at church or at work or at home. JM doesn't hold double double standard on other people, whether he's dealing with his peers, his bosses, his subordinates, strangers, or even family members. No double standard. He's going to treat everyone the same according to his values. What he does, what JM does, is aligned with what he says, what he teaches, what he believes. What JM's, oh no. JM stays true to his beliefs and values and morals regardless of who's watching, who's in the room, or who's not in the room, regardless of where he's at. Whether that's a house, or a church, or, or his orphanage. Oh, oh no, not a particular person, but uh, <laughs> you know, that's what it means to be a person with integrity. Being the same person at all situations, being the same person to everyone, 
really being true to yourself in any given situation. I think that's a beautiful thing, integrity. Everyone loves people with integrity, no? I love people with integrity, right? So there is a, here's the danger. A lot of people think becoming Jesus-like is all about developing character, um, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Though that is true, I noticed that character building, focusing on character building so much without the pursuit of your integrity is very dangerous. So you could be the nicest elder at the church, but at home you could be an abusive father. You do everything right at church. You serve. You're like most diligent and you're most loved person. But at home, you're a lazy bum. Or at, at your work, your reputation is trash. Nobody likes working with you. Totally possible situations. You say all the right things when you're dealing with your small group members. But then in your mind, there's no alignment with what you say, what you think. And those things are not practiced in your own life. Lack of integrity. And I ran across this Korean article uh, about three days ago. It broke my heart. It's a reality check for the church. Uh, there was a book that was published recently based on the survey that was done to a thousand Christians in Korea, another thousand non-believers in Korea, and 500 pastors working, currently working pastors uh, across denominations in Korea. So 2,500 people responded to this survey. One question was this. How much do you think their or your faith is reflected on their lifestyle or on your lifestyle? So to Christians, like, how much you know, is your faith reflected on your lifestyle? To non-believers, they asked, how much do you think is Christians' faith is reflected on their lifestyle? Answer. I mean, to paraphrase it, it's a kind of tricky question. How identical is their lifestyle to their beliefs? That was the bottom of the question, bottom line. 78.6% responded, not really. 8.4% said, not at all. The vast majority, total of 87% thought Christians were not living out what they believe or say. 82% of the pastors in the survey said, not really, about their own life. 15%, 15.4% said, not at all. So the total of 97.4% of pastors who replied to this poll said, their life is not quite similar to what they believe or what they appear at church. 0% of Christians or pastors responded with, my life is identical to what I believe. 0.0%. None of them. There was none like King David. That I walk in integrity, I never wavered. There was no one like that. I don't know, maybe it was humility, moderation. I don't know what it was, but this was the result of the survey. And I was questioning is this just a problem of a Korean church? Man, is Korean church really going the downhill? I mean, yeah, there are points of it, but I don't think that it's just Korean church problem. Church in general is losing integrity. We, become, we became so good at putting on the Christian attitude, Christian thing to do, but failed in building our own integrity and living at the same lifestyle. We became so good at deceiving ourselves that how I am on Sunday is who I actually am. And throughout the week, I can forget about it. Some have the appearance of holiness, but then they have no substance in their daily life. 
And if you are part of this survey, let's say, if you were asked the same question, anonymous, what would you have checked off? Not really, not at all, or very true? Think about that. How many of you can confidently say that my life is just like how it is at church? Exactly the same. We need to pursue integrity. Amen? And I think God's not revealing these things to our eyes to condemn us or make us feel guilty about us, about ourselves or even feel like fake Christians. I don't think that's Holy Spirit's work at all. In fact, the Bible says there's no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you feel like condemnation is slowly coming upon you, shake it off. That's not for you. I just feel like a dark cloud coming into the room. <laughs> it's like getting one by one. Like everybody's like, oh, that's talking about me, you know? But there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If God will reveal something to you, that's for you to grab hold of it and start walking into it. There's the grace. There's that new season at Itaewon, at New Philly. That's why I'm bringing it to you. You know, you know, if it sounds like accusation against you, you totally missed the point. So that's not the point. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel condemned. Don't feel um, uh, accused about these matters, okay? So I'm not here to call you out or say that you are a fake Christian or anything, but I'm speaking from this passage. Christ's desire for us to be mature, to grow up, to have that integrity at all times, that we're all walking in the journey. Amen? So let me set you guys free from that, okay? <laughs> no depression in Jesus' name. It's okay to struggle with your daily quiet times. I do too. And PC will tell you, Pastor Christian will say, I struggle with my daily quiet time as well. I'm not saying you shouldn't struggle with your daily quiet time. It's okay to worship more extravagantly at church than when you are alone. In fact, if you worship like you do here, your neighbors might complain and, you know, you might look like a crazy person. So it's okay. I'm not talking about that. It's okay that if you are happier at church than you are at home. I mean, you see all these church friends and you are happy, you know. I'm not saying you have to be exactly identical in every single way. How you appear in public should be how you are when you're alone. That's not what I am saying. But we shouldn't be numb to the growing absence of integrity in our lives. You should be observing how you are when you are with people, when people are watching, and how you are when you are just alone with the Spirit of God in your room. We should be aware of the growing absence of integrity. It's not okay if you are only meeting with the Lord on Sunday. That's not okay. It's not okay if you are living by truth only on Sunday. That's not okay. It's not okay if you are able to worship God in freedom only for the 18 minutes at Itaewon campus. That's not okay. It is a problem if you are becoming comfortable with the gap that you feel in your life. It becomes a problem when you don't even notice that there is that gap and lack of integrity in your life. should be aware of that. And 
this is an interesting point. So who struggles with integrity problem at church, let's say? Who struggles with that mindset of, oh, I feel like double-minded Christian, whatever, I'm living a double life, whatever. Who feels that the most, I'll say the higher you go in like, let's say at New Philly leadership rank, the longer you've been a Christian, the bigger the temptation is to forsake in- integrity. You guys understand me? The longer you've been a Christian, the temptation to forsake integrity is a lot bigger. So the higher you go up, you become a pastor, you become a small leader, you become whatever, that builds the temptation to really forsake integrity. Let me explain. There is that greater pressure and expectation that you feel like, oh man, I really shouldn't be messing up at this point. When I was in small group, I was okay. I could just tell my small leader. But now that I'm a small group leader, small leader, I can't be messing up. There's that pressure. There's that expectation. There's greater fear of failure. There's a, I wrote it all out. Um, Fear of judgment, fear of rejection, fear of disappointing other people, especially my my, um, pastors or something. Uh, There's losing Fear of losing my reputation as a good Christian um, and the desire to look certain way and sound certain way. There's definitely there. There's a peer pressure. Everyone else around me is on fire. I should be also in fire. You know what I'm saying? So all those things will tell you to put up a Christian face and just be okay with the gap that you feel in, in your life. And Satan will lie to you. No one will find out. Just pretend. Just, just keep doing what you've been doing. You don't have to tell nobody. They're going to judge you. They're going to look at you differently. They're going to think less of you. So just keep it to yourself and just hope that it will get better. Keep it to yourself. No one's going to find out. No one's watching you when you're alone. You know, that's the voice of the enemy. Just pretend it's all okay. Just act like a mature believer on Sundays and no one's going to know. But by doing that, I think a lot of people are stuck in that mentality though without intending to do that or not. But by doing that, you are actually hindering your own growing and maturing process. When you do that, that hinders your growing, that hinders your maturing. That's what stops you from growing up. And I think there's definitely an aspect of spiritual warfare in this part as well. That it's not just that uh, it's your mind that's messed up, but also there's an aspect of spiritual attacks that comes against you. For example, when you think, start to think that way, you got to understand that you are under the attack of the spirit of hypocrisy. Integrity, hypocrisy is completely opposite things. Integrity is being the same person when people are around or not, I said. Hypocrisy is appearing a certain way, appearing holy in front of people. When you're alone, you're different. You know, that's hypocrisy, right? Being double-minded, being having double life. So those two are the antonyms. Is that a word? Wonderful. You know, those two are complete opposite antonyms, right? So you got to understand that when you are tempted to go into that path of being like a Pharisee that Jesus hated, you are under the attack of spirit of hypocrisy. You got to understand. And Jesus hated Pharisees because they, all they did was about appearing a certain way. They prayed out loud when people were around. They never prayed when they were alone. You know, fasting, if you think about it, what they did is not evil thing. They prayed. 
What's so bad about that? They fasted. Oh, that's a good thing, you know? What they did is good, but then the, the why? They did it for the eyes of men. You know, oh, I'm fasting. I'm so tired, you know, stumbling and looking all tired. And, you know, that's for the eyes of men, you know, to gain the recognition that I'm holy. I'm the man of fasting, you know? That's the part that's bad about it. Fasting itself is not. Prayer, praying out loud, what's bad about that? It's not bad, but because they did it for the eyes of men, did it for the ears of men, that's why Jesus hated them. Spirit of hypocrisy. Having double life. It's very hot up in here. Very, very hot. Whew. This spirit of hypocrisy, spirit of lack of integrity, definitely is attacking the church, let alone Korean church, but the church in general. This spirit of hypocrisy is attacking every single believer. And for them to believe that, no, you just got to keep pretending, just keep living like Pharisees. But no, spirit of the life, spirit of God says, the otherwise. No, you have to be honest with yourself. You have to open up to other people, get help. Once again, let's turn, each, turn to each other and say, let's grow up. Say one more thing. Let's pursue integrity. question was this is it even possible man if you lived in this kind of lifestyle um for a long time the question will be is that even possible though like i've been living like this for years you know people say like oh having like revival in my prayer closet is that even possible you know i can have revival at church retreat i could have it some of it on sundays but Man, the exact, the sense of God's presence and feeling that and living it out in my daily life, is that even possible? And I think it's a legit question. And I'm here to say that it is possible. Praise the Lord that it is possible. Number one reason is the same spirit that grew Jesus into the fullness, the full manhood, that same spirit is upon us and in us. The same spirit that grew Jesus to the fullness of maturity is working in us. And how can he fail his job? He won't. Whatever he started, he will accomplish. He will fulfill. We can trust that Holy Spirit will continue to work in our lives. As long as we are working to, I mean, willing to work it out and grow up. Same spirit is working inside of you. So you cannot give up. Holy Spirit will never give up on you. And who are you to say, God, I want to give up? No, you're going to continue to mature. You're going to continue to change. And not only that, verse 11, in the context of this text, it tells us that gift of these ministers are given to us for this very purpose. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and um, pastors are given to us for this very purpose that we will attain the maturity in Christ Jesus. So do we have those people? Yeah? Itaewon, you have amazing pastors, right? 
You have amazing leadership over you, and they are given to you as a set of gifts. Christ's gift is a gift of grace that God has brought those people over you into your life to watch over you to make sure you're growing in maturity, that you are growing in integrity. That's their job. That's the purpose of them being placed over you. Of course, God's grace is upon them. His grace is upon you guys. Of course, you guys will continue to grow in this area. Number three, New Philly is a body, a local church, a house that's committed to maturity. We have no interest in babysitting Christians. We are a mighty army of God. That means we are raising up mature believers. We are not okay with just having a bunch of kids running around. We will have mature men and women of God that take accountability seriously. Opening up to one another about our weaknesses and failures and sins and dirtiest things that we have done, we will be open and we will embrace you no matter what. As long as we are committed to growing together, this house is committed for your maturity. Verse 15, it describes that when each part works properly, the body grows. Have you guys ever seen like a puberty, like a boys that are going through like high school puberty? It's ridiculous. They look funny because they have like a mustaches on their faces and then they have like huge hands and feet, but then their shoulders small and they have like ridiculous skinny legs. You know what I'm talking about? None of you have like brothers. My brother looked ridiculous when he was going through that phase, man. He was ugly. Um, he, <laughs> he had so much facial hair. His like, hands were really, you know, hands and feet, they grow first. So hands and feet were huge, but then he was so skinny. His shoulder was like this tiny. He was like, man, skinny too. He was growing so quickly. But then that, that, that face, man, it's really um, not, um, not that beautiful. <laughs> and see, even maturing as a body of Christ, there are certain parts that grow first. Certain members in this community, certain leaders, the pastors, we will be the ones that grow before you do, actually. There are some mature believers in this room as well, and they will grow, but then, that, is that the ending, is that the final picture of Itaewon campus? That's, that's, no, that's not beautiful at all, okay? So it's gotta be certain people growing and maturing first, but then they are, each part has to work properly. Each part has to grow up at the end, and then you will have a stature of a full-grown man with wide shoulders, with some muscles, right? Full-grown male. Somebody's happy about that. <laughs> you know? That's how we are called to grow. Not just certain parts. Not just one finger. Not just hands and feet. But every part has to work together to grow up. Maturity is a call to the body, guys. It's not just a call for individuals. It is about you growing and becoming like Jesus, developing your character. That's awesome. But it is a call for the body to grow together. So you guys are in this together. And some of you are more mature than others, but eventually you guys are in this together. You are all growing up together. You know, your shoulders, you need to grow. Legs need to get thicker, you know. <laughs> Things need to change a little bit. But eventually, this community grow together. I remember, man, back in 2012, I went to California for intern swap. It was my first time in America. And I had a privilege of preaching at this ministry called the Ark Ministries of Berkeley's. 
Org Ministries of Berkeley. Berkeley, right. The Org Ministries of Berkeley, right? I preached at their uh, Saturday gathering, and then I got called out uh, before, right before I preached, and then five of their pastors came, and then uh, they prophesied over me. So the Org is known to be a very prophetic house. So I was like, oh, I'm going to get prayed over. So I was excited. I was ready to receive. Five people came, laid hands on me. Four of them spoke the same exact words over me. It was, I see a vision of you in your secret, secret place, crying out in tears on your knees, uh, having revival in your secret place. Uh, that tucked away, more blah, 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 all kind of like all the, all the same similar theme. But four of the pastors said that over me, okay? And what I was thinking back of my mind was, these people are off. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. You know why? Because I struggle with secret place revivals. I struggle with, I have bad knees and bad ankles. So I rarely get on my knees, okay? <laughs> Not all pastors pray on their knees. Well, revelation, right? I have a hard time getting on my knees. When I pray, I sit up or I lie down and fall asleep sometimes. And I'm just a human being too. Yeah, I do seek God's face. I do pray and I do things like that. But not like having like a revival service in my secret place, in my prayer closet. Not quite. And that was where I was. And I was thinking, man, these people really, um, yeah, I don't know what to, I didn't know what to think. And in my mind, it's like, oh, not really, you know. Oh, you are a woman of, oh, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, man, not really. I felt uncomfortable because I felt, I felt the gap. And I was like, man, maybe that's how I appear on, um, when I'm on the stage, when I'm ministering. I must look like it, so they are calling it out like that. But, oh, my, man, in my mind, I'm like, oh, man, not really. That kind of tempted me to fall into that condemnation or like shame man i better start doing that or whatever i was thinking but then god brought a revelation revealed things to me afterwards that no i didn't speak that over you to condemn you in public but i spoke those things over you because that's your capability that's what you are able to you are i that's what i desire that's what i see over you Though it might not be true temporarily right now, you haven't grown into it, but you are definitely capable of, and that's what I desire with you. He started speaking. That's who you really are in the spirit. You can. You can. Come. Come into my presence. Get on your knees. <laughs> and that was the change into a new season. There was the grace with the revelation that came. And with that new grace, things started to change. Hallelujah. So if you are thinking, man, as you're listening to me, I don't know, not really, man. My ugh, private life, it's kind of different. Ah, oh, man. If you're just thinking about your personal life and how uh, in certain areas that you lack integrity, God is not bringing those things out to condemn you or make you feel guilty about it, but that's what you're called to be and you can with the new grace in this new season. That's what God is calling you to walk into. And um, 
There are some other meanings to integrity as well. I'm gonna just quickly breeze through it. But then in integrity, you know, whenever you like try to log into your like a phone banking or stuff, it says um, it says integrity check. Have you guys seen that before? Uh, data integrity check or, or like other I don't know like a library system. And a lot of times it's integrity check or data integrity check stuff like that. What that means is a uh, Integrity in that context, it means state of a system where it is performing its intended functions without being degraded or impaired by changes or disruptions in its internal or external environments. So it means you're functioning fine, nothing has, uh, was able to like, invade. Um, yeah, that's, the, that, that's that. And then uh, another, another definition says stored or transmitted data that is free from any unauthorized change. So when it says data integrity, it means that no unauthorized source has come in and um, corrupted the file. So the data is, has integrity. You guys are English speakers, right? So your English should be better than mine, so you guys got that. It, really, it doesn't really make sense to me, but I think you guys got it. So integrity in this context came from Latin word integritas. And that word came from integer, which means, this is the meaning of that word, the root word, untouched, unhurt, unchanged, sound, whole, entire, pure, honest. That's the meaning of that word, right? So finding your integrity back, growing your integrity, is more than just building your character. It's taking back what the devil has stolen away. What the devil has touched what, like the different hurts have come into your life, uh, things have changed, and the way you were designed at the beginning has been changed. The integrity was lost, but then you regaining your integrity is like going back to your untouched state. It's like before sin enters your life, before condemnation and punishment enters your life, how you are created to be, you are finding that self back. So gaining integrity, guys, is becoming who you are really meant to be from the beginning. Who you are really meant to be, who you really are, you are gaining that back as you pursue integrity. See, maturing, I think a lot of people think that it's becoming someone else. Uh, I think people resist even growing up because they feel like I'm becoming like someone else. I'm becoming a boring adult that I never wanted to become like. You know, a lot of people live in that mindset like a Peter Pan kind of like, oh, I don't want to grow up. I want to be, uh, you know, I like my personality. I want to be the young spirited, whatever, whatever. So people resist growing up and they don't want to become an adult. But growing up, and gaining your maturity, integrity, and all these things are actually becoming who you are meant to be from the beginning. It's not losing who you are. It's not losing your personality. You're simply becoming who God designed you to be at the beginning. Going back to the untouched state of you. You have even no idea. You, you guys have no idea how you actually are like, at the beginning. The untouched state of you. I mean, so many of us, we have so much to unlearn from our past, from our traumas. And, you know, can you imagine how you're going to be? Like the untouched state being revealed again after you unlearn all these things that you accumulated over the years. 
before sin came in, before trauma came in, how you were supposed to be at the beginning, the pure, honest, the whole state of you. I think that's a beautiful thing. That's why growing up is something definitely to celebrate. Don't be afraid of growing up. Growing up is a good thing. You're going back to who you were meant to be from the beginning. And the more mature you get, this tells you, the more you will become yourself. The more Jesus-like you get, the closer you are getting to the original design of you. So it's not like when we all become like Jesus, we're all going to be like the same exact looking robots or anything like that. But you will be in your own beautiful way of growing into the fullness of Christ. And that's not losing yourself. So don't fear losing myself because I have to grow up. That's a lie. Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So he's talking about, he's telling us, Paul's telling us to become adults, right? You guys feel like you are ready to grow up and mature? Excited for that? Don't feel condemned, but be excited for that. Get back your integrity. Become who you are really, who you really are. Verse 14 explains something else. It's, he's talking about all of a sudden children. Children opposite of adults, right? The characteristics that are written here are simply this, easily shaken, swayed, easily swayed. That's the characteristic of children that he uh, talks about. But a full-grown man will not be swayed easily. He will be firm and unshakable. I cannot not mention Brother Chris Prasad. <laughs> Imagine him on the stage, like taking his place firmly. And let's say I go over to him and I push him as hard as I can. You know what's going to happen? He's going to stay firm and unshakable. I'm going to be pushed away. <laughs> Have you ever experienced that with my brothers? You push them, yo, and then you're like, <laughs> hey, I pushed you, but I'm the one that gets pushed away. Like unshakable, full-grown men. That's what the picture is. Lies come, temptations come, your hormones come, your emotions come, changing in circumstances come, but you stand firm as a full-grown man and woman. Do not be swayed. Do not be easily shaken. You hold to your place. And that's mature uh, aspect of maturity that's talked about here. You know... Psalm 26, the the verse that I read earlier, I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. That's David's words. King David said, I trusted in the Lord without wavering. I didn't go to the left, go to the right. I trusted in the Lord. I didn't waver in my faith in him. And that's a picture of mature believer. Think about it. Let's say something terrible happened to your family. Or let's say I got laid off from my job. Immature believers, new believers, they're going to be crushed probably for months, and they will need lots of counseling, lots of small group sessions to recover from that. And finally, they will be like, okay, I think I can believe in Jesus again. And let's say something else. Oh, broke up with my girlfriend, another major crush. Takes months to recover from that. I mean, yeah, my such is life. But if you think about mature believer, if their faith in the Lord is strong, unshakable, no matter what happens in your life, will not shake the word of God off of your life. You will stand firm. 
You know, even in the areas of like seeking healing, you feel you really believe in physical healing. And I remember 2012, uh, there was this lady that, were, that was very dear to my heart. She was a um, worker at our Jaesongdo, uh, our KM site. Uh, she was working there. Uh, she was Jipsanim. She had a brain tumor. We cried out for her healing for 10 months. I think over a year, eventually. She miraculously got better in the middle, and we all rejoiced. She came to testify at Hillside and all that, and then she relapsed, and it got worse. And a few months later, she passed away. For that period of time, I was believing God for healing. God, you are her healer. I believe. I believe. When she got healed, I was like, oh, my goodness, my faith, like, rock, like, you know, it went up. And I was like, whoa, God is the healer. But then when she relapsed, I was like, hit by that. What just happened? I thought she was completely getting better. And I believed and believed, believed and believed, prayed and prayed. Eventually, she passed away. Even believed for her resurrection. I thought for the glory of God, God allowed her to die, but God's going to raise her up. Even at her funeral, I was praying for resurrection of her body. Didn't happen. Oh, I believed. God, I believed that you were her healer. I believed that you are Jehovah Rapha. But then you know how I walked out of the funeral? My faith in God's physical, God's ability to heal a disease was bigger than ever. I didn't see it manifest. My experience didn't align with what I believed, but still I walked out believing even more than before. God, you are Jehovah Rapha. That's your name. No matter what circumstances hit me, whether you answer the prayer or not, I don't have to figure everything out. Your word says you are the healer, then you are. I walked out of the funeral believing even firmer. I took my place. I was unshakable. And the following summer, I went to Indonesia, and I saw ridiculous miracles, blind eyes opening. We saw that, witnessed that. We laid hands on this person. I mean, we didn't even lay hands on this lady. She was lame. She started walking crazy miracles and physical healing started to break out. I don't know. I don't understand God's timing, but I kept on believing, and he proved himself. Unshakable faith, guys. No matter what hits you, don't just look at that one episode and think, oh man, maybe God doesn't heal. No. Stay unshakable. Continue to believe no matter what. That's what this verse is talking about. Don't be carried about. Don't be swayed easily. Don't go toast to and fro. Believe what he says he is. Just believe it. That's a mature believer. No matter what hits you, you will be firm. You will be unshakable. Man, it's a short verse, but so much, into, so much in it. Allowing God's word to go beyond our experience or even lack of our experience. Like God's word. Your word is final. What you say is true, and that's it. That kind of faith, like a full-grown man's faith. And that's what we are called to believe, become like, called to possess. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. I'm going to keep this part very short, but I think it's definitely worth mentioning. So speaking the love in I mean, speaking the truth in love. Everyone say that. Speaking the truth in love. love. I don't know how many of you are good at this or bad at this. Let me just say this. Speaking the truth is not the same as not speaking lies. Some people just take this verse and say, oh, it means that I shouldn't lie. 
I shouldn't say anything that is not true. So people take it like that, but that's totally talking about something else. This verse means you have speaking here, it's an imperative. It's telling you to speak. So it involves an act of speaking. Just, it's not just not saying anything, not being a part of gossip, uh, just keeping my mouth shut during, the, during like gossip session with the girls, whatever, or not saying a lie. That's not what this verse is talking about. It involves an action of speaking the truth. Confrontations, corrections, rebukes. It could look different in different situations, but it involves saying things that you don't want to say. And you know what's easy is you have something like, oh man, it bothers me. But what's easy is not to say anything and just let it pass. I'll just forget it. Whatever. I don't care. That's the easy way, right? But he says, speak the truth in love. It involves act of speaking. You know, people have this mentality, who am I to speak up? I don't want to ruin the Bunigi, like I don't want to be the party pooper, um, like that mentality. When you are supposed to speak up and in boldness, a lot of people actually dodge that and say, "Oh, just not say anything. I'm not going to say anything." And that's one side of the story. But some other people are too good at speaking the truth. They're too good at it, um, but they forgot the last two words in love. They're so good at speaking the truth, but then they don't do it enough. Um, speaking, just speaking the truth, it's called releasing judgment on someone. Operating in the self-righteous spirit, you know? Just to prove that I'm right and you are wrong. That kind of confrontations. I don't know if you guys experienced that before. But it says, in love. Speak the truth in love. In love, love means it's all about other people. So when you speak the truth, you don't do it for yourself. You do it for the good of other people. That's what it means to do it in love. If it's going to build them up, do it. If that's going to benefit them, do it. If that's going to be loving for them, do it. But that's, that has nothing to do with doing something good for you. Wrong confrontations I see so much out of self-righteousness, uh, trying to prove that you're right and that person was wrong, or justifying yourself. Uh, confrontation has to be always for mutual edification and building up of each other. You know, some people just come from because to let it off your chest, you know? Oh, I just, it just feels so, whatever, top the pay, you know? Like, I just got to let it off my chest. Wrong motive. Wrong motive, right? Those are very unhealthy examples of corrections and confrontations and speaking the truth. But in love, you know, if you just try to speak the truth into someone's heart, you know what you will notice? If you come with just the truth without love, they will be defensive. They will put up the wall of defensiveness with the quickness. Like, they will be like, oh, they will feel exposed. They will feel attacked. They will feel accused. And they will put up their guard right away. And the words that you want to speak to them will not even go in because they are defensive now, you know? But when love is combined with truth, when you speak the truth, hey, when you did that, 
hurt my feelings. But when you do it in an attitude of love and with the loving motive, what's going to happen is that wall's not going to be created. And the word, the intention, the motive, the goodness of what you intended, that's going to go into that person's life, you know? That's the true purpose of confrontation. I have so much more to say, but I'm going to close. In summary... This short passage has so much, so many different aspects of growing up, maturing, and those aspects that I, we, are t- we talked about. Let me give you a summary. Number one, we got to pursue integrity. I hope you guys caught that point. Your private life, your public life, how there's got to be awareness of that gap. I mean, I'm okay with the gap, but you got to be aware of the growing absence of integrity in your life, and you got to check yourself, or else you're under the attack of spirit of hypocrisy, and none of you should fall into that. You guys got that? Integrity, integrity, pursuit of integrity. We can never let that go. Number two, unshakable faith. Stand firm like a grown-up man. Do not be moved around. Do not be swayed by the wind, but stand firm in what you believe in God's word. Number three, we talked about speaking the truth in love. Not just speaking the truth or correcting others, but doing it with love. And actually taking the courage and boldness to release it in a loving motive and attitude. I think if you are good at all these three things... I think you could actually become a mature believer and be like King David, you know, test me and try me, God. I walked in integrity. I don't know, but I think these things are definitely things that we need to really work out. When I close with this, Psalm 26, verses 1 to 3. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. And I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. So I want it to be our prayer today. I'm going to um, invite up the worship team. We're going to close with worship. But before we do that, I want us to take a short moment to just pray over ourselves. And I really believe, guys, we are, New Philly as a body, we are in a season of maturing and growing. And it's not going to look like, it's going to look different than fire falling, people shaking under the power of God. It's going to look different. Maturing process, growing up process, it's going to be messy. Think about all the confrontation that I mentioned, your personal struggle with your integrity problems. You will have to face the situations and problems that you will never want to face. You don't want to feel like a fake Christian. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not a... It's not the most fun ride or journey, but it's an absolute must. If you want to really be someone that's blameless before the Lord, someone that's serious about becoming like Christ Jesus, not in an image of a boy, but into a full-grown man. If you understand the beauty of becoming like Him as a body, Yeah, individually, but as a body and the power of it. If you think about that, it's like something that you want to pursue with your life. It's something that you want to run after no matter what takes. God, I want revival in my prayer closet when no one else is watching. Like I want to be on more fire in my prayer closet than I am at church. 
I want to experience something like that. I want to cultivate a lifestyle like that, God. It's something beautiful that you want to pursue. Think about that. God, if I could speak your truth into situations, in love, in maturity, in discernment, God, I would die to have that. If that could transform my brothers and sisters, I'd die to have that. If I could have that unshakable faith, no matter what comes my way and hits me, no matter what wave it is, wow, if I could stand like Chris Prasad, unshakable, firmly, I would love God to have that. And all these things, Holy Spirit is saying, you can have it. You can all have it. It's all for you. I'm maturing you. I'm causing you to grow. If you will possess it and walk in this new grace, you can have it. It's like when I was prophesied over at the ark. Instead of walking out, feeling like I'm such a fake Christian. Man, that's never going to happen. They are off. But instead, I walked away encouraged. Man, God, this area of my life, this area of lack of integrity was revealed. And I felt ashamed, but God, I'm going to change. I want it to be true and real in my own life. God, I want that secret revival that they prophesied over me. Though it might not be true in my life right now, but I want it. I want to possess it. I'm going to walk in it. And the grace is in this room right now. I don't care if you guys fellowship during my sermon or whatever, but take that grace right now. Take that grace. Possess it and walk into that. Don't let this skip over you. If you're in this room, I believe that there's a new grace for this new season. It's season of working it out. I mean, you feel it. We've been walking in it after the retreat, but I really believe that this is a deeper area. It's something that you would never want to talk about. How you are when you are alone, when I'm not with church people, that the differences that you face, how you feel about yourself, those things are difficult, but you got to face it. You got to face it. So there's the grace. I want you guys to all close your eyes. Just close your eyes. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal whatever stood out to you, area of lack of integrity, the things that you notice about yourself. But I don't want you to feel guilty about that. Bind up that accusing voice. I bind it in Jesus' name. But rather, turn it into a new season. You make the decision, I'm going to walk in the new grace. I'm going to be different. Man, my private life is going to look different from now on. I'm going to walk in it. I'm going to receive it. I'm going to possess it. I want that to be your prayer right now. So ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. God, I want to grow up. Father, we want to mature as a body. Not just trying to have the appearance of those characters, but really having it inside and out. So that when I'm alone or with other people, when I'm home at church, at work, I want to be the same person that you call me to be. Let that be your prayer. Everyone, open your mouth. Just pray. Release that prayer to the Lord. Release that prayer to the Lord. If that's private, pray just in your heart. doesn't matter. Receive the grace. Father, we just...